This time on Poll Hub, we're digging into our new poll with our partners NPR and the PBS NewsHour. We covered a lot of ground on this one and found some very interesting data on everything from Donald Trump and his evangelical base to states banning drag shows. Like I said, we covered a lot of ground. Then there have been far more mass shootings this year than there have been days. 130 shootings as of Wednesday, March 29th at 11.31 a.m. That's when we're recording over the last 88 days of this year. We've talked a lot about guns and gun violence on Poll Hub over the years, and this time we're unpacking so-called red flag laws to see where there might be some solutions. And we finish with another fun fact from Barb's pollsters staying up too late department, or my, what were they, smoking department. Stick around. And hi, everybody. Welcome to Poll Hub. I'm Jamie Dapper. I'm Barbara Carvalho. And I am Lee Merida. Uh, we were in the field uh, last week with a poll that has been released this week in a couple of tranches, as they say, in banking, I guess, uh, with NPR and PBS NewsHour. We asked a lot of questions about a lot of issues, and so there's a lot of ground to cover. Uh, well, these have been out. You've probably heard about them. I think we have some insights in here that are pretty interesting because we've looked at a lot of the kind of the details, the data behind those so, so-called top-line results. And I think there's some really interesting stuff here. Um, let's just start with kind of the big thing, which is top issues facing the country. It's a question we ask a lot. And uh, there's a real partisan divide here as we move into a presidential election year, as we talk about what it is that's motivating people in America. Democrats say preserving democracy and the economy are their top two, and then healthcare and climate change and guns. For Republicans, it's the economy first, and then preserving democracy with their definition of that, which is going to be different from Democrats, and then immigration. So what does this tell us about uh, where we are as a country as we're, uh, you know, inexorably heading towards and into a presidential election year when all of these things are going to be, you know, used by both parties to to beat up the others, if nothing else? I would just say right off the bat, and uh, uh, I'm a little confused about what the strategies are by the Democrats and Republicans, because I'm old enough to remember the midterm elections. And uh, uh, in 2022, uh, the Democrats were talking about preserving democracy, the Supreme Court decision, uh, uh, the Dobbs case, and Republicans were talking about the economy. And now, although the economy is still like a big deal for a lot of people, uh, the Republicans are talking all about culture things. Uh, and the Democrats are now talking about the economy. So it sort of seems like... Uh, I'm confused because they seem to have stolen each other's playbook from two years ago, uh, and they're going down, uh, going in very different directions. Uh, I, uh, I'm not sure where the middle is, but I think Joe Biden is finding it a little bit easier than the Republicans are right now. Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the one common thread, I think, in this uh, issue question is that these are really significant issues that people are very concerned about. Um, they don't totally agree on, you know, what those issues are. They certainly don't necessarily agree as to what the solutions to solving the problems are. But the discussion from the public is about the economy, democracy, healthcare, immigration, climate change. And that's not what we're hearing from our elected officials. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of distraction. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we're I think we are in the midst of uh, culture wars that are not only being defined by 
how we get our news and who we speak with and who we tend to to uh to 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 work and play with but um i i think also emphasized by the by the different parties as well so i don't know what the solution is you know people may be talking at each other but they're certainly not talking with each other um and uh, it's a it's a major problem i think that both just for the the health of uh, the health of the democracy and uh people's confidence and trust in government. A couple of things I found interesting in here, and we'll get through a lot of these issues. One, I want to move on to crime, which was a big GOP issue um, running in 2022, and it worked in New York. Uh, it didn't uh, work in some other places as well. But where there is some bipartisan agreement here. Um, 68% of Americans feel that it is a real threat in most communities, as opposed to an issue blown out of proportion by politicians as a way to win voters. That's how we ask the question. But Democrats, 58% believe it's a real threat. Republicans, 80% believe it's a real threat. So there's some bipartisan agreement there. I thought what was interesting is that there was um, not much of a difference in geography. Like one of the things I would think is you might see that in the cities, more people thought it was a big issue or more people thought it was less of an issue. You know, there's different ways to think about that. But there wasn't a big geographic difference there. And I think that's an interesting thing is that crime, which the GOP has been using as an issue, does resonate with Democrats. Is that a lesson for, for Republicans and Democrats uh, going forward? Yeah, it is very much a, a significant observation, Jay, because I've seen that on a, a number of the questions that I think we'll get to as, as well, where you see this geographic difference. Uh, between uh, city folks and uh, small town and rural folks. And they don't necessarily line up where you think they would, um, but rather they line up in a partisan way. So it, it, you can really see how these, um, these issues are being driven by uh, the voices of each party and by the, the media and the, the news that people are following. Um, because it's, it's, it's become less geographic in the sense that uh, things that you would think would um, impact and be of concern to urban dwellers uh, and other things that would be not be a concern to rural voters has completely flipped around. I was just going to say a lot of the oxygen in as has been the case for the last uh, seven years is going to be, uh, again, continues to be taken up by Donald Trump. Uh, and uh, obviously last weekend, uh, his so-called first campaign rally, uh, although I thought he already had one, but uh, this, I guess, was the kickoff in Waco, Texas, uh, the 30th anniversary of the uh, Branch Davidian uh, uprising there. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, we're expecting, as we have been for days, that when it comes to crime, Donald Trump, the former president, may in fact be indicted. Uh, uh, on a whole range of things uh, or not. Uh, but what I thought was interesting in, in some of the polls, you know, as we look to 2024, uh, there was some difference in the numbers between white evangelicals and Republicans uh, at his base. And I thought that was interesting in terms of whether Donald Trump has done something illegal where 10% uh, of Republicans think so, but 26% of white evangelicals do. Um, also, is that a crack? Is that a crack in his base? You think? Well, you know, I noticed that. And I think that's something to be watched. Uh, they also, by about two to one, still not only about a third, think that the elections were fair. Uh, now, it's, there are Democrats and independents when you talk about white evangelicals, uh, but clearly, 
Uh, it's not a solid block for him. Uh, as were independents on the question of whether uh, they would like to see him become president uh, again. And it was about two to one against that. So I think there's some stuff going on with Donald Trump. Uh, uh, you know, very often his numbers don't move. But I think, as you say, Jay, there may be some kind of stuff occurring uh, with him in, in, in the face of this daily uh Will he be indicted? Won't he be? And all the news that's been coming out. Well, also, I think we should. I think we should just distinguish too um, between his Republican base and then people who have supported Trump. Because mm-hmm. when we think of white evangelical voters, just like when we kind of draw a circle around, um, you know, any group, we tend to think of them as much more homogenous. Uh, than they necessarily are. So if we drill down and we we look at the party affiliation or identification of people who also consider themselves to be evangelical, um, then we, we can see that about half are Republican, but then the other half kind of disperses across yeah. um, across the, the other parties. So although, yes, um, they were certainly a group that was certainly very strongly behind Donald Trump, uh, and we do see some erosion there. Uh, his Republican base is pretty solid, and mm-hmm. if you think primaries first, before uh, before general elections, which is what it is that's uh, first on the agenda, um, he has quite a lot of support, including you know a, a very large proportion of Republicans who would like to see him or who want to see him as president again. And some of the people in the White House, the Democrats, would like to run against him. But sometimes with Donald Trump, you have to be careful what you wish for. Uh, Jay, in the beginning, uh, you had talked to, we asked a whole grab bag of other issues. Maybe we should talk of, about a couple that jumped out. At, uh, yeah, let me let me bang through some of those. One of them is TikTok, a uh, social media app that uh, a lot of young people use. Uh, there's uh, a kind of a bipartisan uh, effort in Congress to to ban it in the U.S. We asked 73 percent of Americans say TikTok poses a major or at least a minor threat to security. And 57 percent, a majority, think that the federal government should ban it. There's big age divide there. Younger people don't think so. Older people do. We also asked about transition related care to minors. Another big issue that's become kind of a cultural issue for Republicans 54% of Americans, the majority, oppose criminalizing, providing gender transition-related care to minors. And the last one, another big culture issue, drag shows. Can we ban drag shows? Can we keep kids from seeing drag shows? 58% oppose restricting drag shows in their state. I was a little surprised at those last two uh, that there was a majority. I thought those culture war issues maybe had had more of an impact uh, than than apparently they are having. Yeah, I mean, I think we did see some slippage. In other words, we did ask questions about trans medical care and trans health care last year. And there was a, you know, a smaller proportion of people who and I want to say this correctly, supported restrictions. That's always the kind of the, the tricky, you know, double negative. But they, uh, you know, they supported restrictions and legislative bans that are going on around the state. And although there is still a majority who um, oppose those restrictions, the the proportion of people who have increased in terms of supporting it has certainly increased and it has garnered more support. I think it's, you know, certainly, um, you know, an odd kind of, a juxtaposition of some of these issues, especially when you see things in light of, you know, another mass shooting um, uh, this week. And uh, a lot of the the rhetoric is about uh, mental health 
It's about um, being able to um, provide support, community support for people who may be on the verge of either suicide or one of these horrific events. But yet we don't really see any any movement. In fact, we you know, we see a lot of uh, legislation that is moving in an opposite direction um, for um, a lot of communities, uh, both women um, and other marginalized um, people who uh, who depend upon um, these support systems. It's an odd type of argument to be to be pointing to increasing legislation for health care, for, particularly for mental health care. Um, and yet, you know, those things are not something that are on the front burner in Congress. We took a look. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, as you mentioned in your intro, Jay, another another horrific uh, mass shooting in, in a school. There's a hundred there were 130 of them just this year, um, six of which have occurred in the state of Tennessee. Um, which is uh, almost five percent. Tennessee certainly isn't five percent of our of our population, so they are taking up a bigger share of of these incidents uh, than than other states are. But um, you know, one of the representatives from Tennessee, uh, Tim Burchett, uh, basically said, "There's nothing that can be done." Uh, I know that that's kind of incendiary to people who do feel that there's there's a lot to do. Um, but where does where does that leave us um, in terms of our of our policy? Well, if there's nothing that can be done, it leads us nowhere. Uh, but uh, I, I, you know, last time I checked, there were a lot of other countries who've been doing a lot of things uh, to address this problem uh, of gun violence uh, and uh, do not seem to get derailed into what obviously is our point of the Second Amendment. Uh, but they seem to uh, address the number of guns and the people who have them and the people who use them. And, uh, uh, you know, we are, you know, as a advanced, so-called advanced country, we're really doing lousy when it comes to this. So uh, we just have to you know, open our eyes a little bit and take a look that things can be done if we have the will to do it. Dying by firearms has now, you know, become the, the number one, number one yeah. cause of death among young people, surpassing for the first time uh, car accidents and uh, and other accidents. Um, what does what does that set say about uh, where we are? Yeah, I mean, I, I I think it says that we're in a terrible place and we don't seem to have the political will to do anything about it. Um, and I, I think the the interesting thing about these red flag laws is it does seem to be the one place where uh, Democrats have come to Republicans and said, you talk about mental health when there's this kind of when when there's violence in many cases. Well, here's something we can do to address mental health. Uh, the question is, do red flag laws, which have passed in 19 states and, and District of Columbia, including in some Republican led states, do they work? And, um, you know, there has been research into this and there's some confusion here. A systematic review of scientific literature by the RAND Corporation found that there really are no studies of red flag laws that meet their standards to know whether they actually work. There was a study of the Connecticut red flag uh, law, which was the first that went into effect after Sandy Hook, um, and it used data from 1999 to 2013 to estimate that every 10 to 11 gun seizures uh, in the cases of taking guns from people who are considered to be a risk um, prevented one suicide. Uh, I think there's a lack of clarity here about what these laws actually accomplish and whether they would do very much. 
uh, in the case of this latest shooting, the, well, the latest shooting as we're recording this, that's getting a lot of attention. Who knows what's going to happen between now and when this was released on Friday. The latest shooting in Tennessee, the, the person who did the shooting apparently got seven guns legally, uh, even though this person was suicidal and had been reported uh, as having issues. I, I mean, again, Lee, I, I, I'm with you on this. It's like the definition of insanity is one of them is doing the same thing over and over uh, and expecting different results. I think another definition of insanity is doing nothing doing nothing and expecting something to change. And I think well, that's what we like are as country. As the events become worse, we seem to be more, we're talking further away in terms of solutions. Uh, so if you're going to do nothing, that's sort of like an easy policy. You just don't do anything. Uh, but unfortunately, that doesn't solve the problems for a whole generation now of young people who, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be their school to be affected, but it's been so many schools and so many stories um columbine, well, 23 yeah yeah i was gonna say columbine was 23 years ago those high school kids are now 40 years old they have uh, kids in columbine some yeah, of them so, have kids so, in columbine so it's you know so this has become a whole generation of people uh, uh you know if we were the uh, if i grew up in the you know the fear of the the cold war kind of mentality this is a generation of gun fear i mean we're doing it to ourselves uh, we don't need the, you know, Russia or anybody else to to, to threaten us. This is a uh, domestic. Uh, I think one, so. Yeah, yeah. One thing I saw that was very interesting uh, just the last day or so was, uh, you know, we always a lot of people point to the NRA and say, oh, the NRA is the reason for this. The NRA's donations are tiny. It's this yeah. tiny fraction of what donations to any of the uh, any of the legislators who don't support the assault weapon ban. Uh, and the point that that a couple of authors has made is this is now cultural. This is now a cultural signifier like wearing a MAGA hat or wearing a mask. You know, if, if you think that wearing a mask is somehow significant to uh, to a liberal person, um, that guns, that owning a gun, that all of the Christmas cards that you see of legislators with their entire family standing in front of a Christmas tree with assault weapons, that's not the NRA. That's not the yeah. NRA. That yeah. is culture. And that we Including have now crossed the Rubicon into guns being a cultural rite of passage for a certain group of people. And th that is a whole lot harder to dismantle than uh, a funding system or a, you know, a special interest that's getting their way because of money. And well, I think some, it's an important insight. Yeah. So, and somebody, including the congressperson from that, that district whose holiday card was also. Andy Ogles had exactly yes. that Christmas card last year or yeah. two years ago. Yeah. 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 Yes. Well, I think, you know, there's been, there have been a number of issues when it is come to gun control this issue. And I think that is a really incredible observation that we have crossed a line um, culturally and made it about uh, what patriotism is and what freedom is, and that it is now, you know, uh, garnering other emotions than, um, than what we've seen um, in the past. But when you mentioned the lack of research, Jay, I mean, that has also been part of um, the continued effort to keep guns uh, very much available because most uh, good public research doesn't really happen without public dollars. And that has been something that has been very scarce um, over, over the last uh, decades. And uh, so one of, I think, the insights from the RAND overview um, is the fact that there is such a lack of research 
in in this area to even make a case one way or the other. Um, looking at public opinion, though, I think there's a lot of common sense opinion there still. Um, there is very strong support and bipartisan support, particularly for red flag laws. Although, you know, whether those laws are going to be followed and whether they are going to be enforced um, within these communities is also an issue because of the fact that they are seen as as so abhorrent to uh, one's freedom, in other words, to the idea of being, you know, uh, considered guilty, you know, before proven innocent. So there's a lot of issues uh, there. Uh, there's certainly strong public opinion for the banning of assault weapons. And there's a whole host of measures that where the public is far ahead of of legislators. Yeah. Perhaps uh, you know the future can still hold uh, hold some light, but it is uh, it does seem to be a, a very dim prognosis. Yeah, and, and beware some of the political uh, you know distractions. Like uh, not too long ago, we were being told, "Well, we should address this problem by arming teachers." Uh, and someone somewhat sarcastically commented that we're willing to arm teachers uh, and, and do that, but uh, not let them select books for their classes. Uh, and so be careful with all this. I think we'd agree that doing nothing is not a policy and it's not acceptable. And there's a lot of things that could be done as other countries have done. And uh, there's a lot of distractions whenever these things happen. Uh, and, uh, you know, the reality is, for the families and for kids growing up, this is just not acceptable. So let's switch gears to a our lighter segment. And uh, I guess this is uh, under the heading of And the Beat Goes On. Uh, last week, we talked about uh, favorite music decade and brought a uh, quite a reaction. So this week, our fun fact from uh, 2012, uh, CBS asked if you had to give the job of composing a new national anthem to one of the following artists. Who would you choose between among, I should say, Bruce Springsteen, Bob Dylan, Stevie Wonder, Madonna, Dolly Parton, John Williams, or Jay-Z? Lots of choices. And I think, not surprisingly, in terms of popularity, Bruce Springsteen comes in with 23% and Dolly Parton at 19 and Stevie Wonder at 18. I'm totally not with the majority or, or the plurality on this, but I'll, I'll we'll pass it around. Uh, and see where you think uh, it should be the Kingston is. trio. I think we established no, no, last no. week that yeah. that was last week. That was last week. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, the beat no. goes on. Oh, I'm so impressed, Lee. That's Thank that's you. awesome. Okay, so all right, but where, where, who's writing your national anthem, Barb? Rewrite. Uh, you know what? I I mean, I I think uh, my my first instincts were to go with with John Williams, but then I think Dolly Parton is such a wonderful songwriter. Um, she's just she's just an amazing talent, and uh, I, I really think that she would capture the uh, the emotion and the the sense of of America. So I'd I'd land I I follow the crowd here um, with Dolly Parton. I'm a plus one on that Dolly all the way. I think that would be great. Uh, Mary though I think had a really interesting point about the number one vote getter here, Bruce Spinks. <laughs> Easy for me to say. Bruce Springsteen, Mary, right? He's sort of done this already. He was born in the USA in the 80s and then the rising after 9-11. So, I mean, it sort of would be a slam dunk for Springsteen to do it. But, you know, I also, I, I like John Williams. So uh, that's where my second choice went. But I see your point about Dolly Parton. But 
Springsteen, I mean, there's that's sort of like a no brainer. He's done it, been there, done that. <laughs> uh, especially, especially from the Northeast and uh, any kind of Jersey folks. Does anybody else want, uh, have anybody else near their microphone who wants to jump in from our, our students or, or Casey? I actually did ask, I asked the student, uh, Athen, um, you and Eve, and I actually didn't get to ask Emily, but y you and Eve both felt, uh, who? Dolly Parton, right? Yeah, I I would say Dolly Parton. I think she would be good. And Emily and Eve, we had everybody with us today. Uh, Emily, we, I didn't get to ask you yesterday because we were putting together the segment. Who do you think? I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen uh, fan, so I would have yeah. to have him as well. And Eve, you yeah. said you said Dolly, though, right? I said Dolly too, but probably my second choice would be Stevie Wonder. I really love uh, Stevie Wonder. That's good. That's good. Now, is there someone that is missing from this list that you should you think should have been on the list? Because I mean, to me, these are all kind of you know older, last century kind of uh, got folks. Well, I was thinking, where's Taylor Swift? But I think this is 2012 when they asked this. Yes, well, that's true. Probably yeah. still in elementary school. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But she so, was so she was playing music. But so I think Casey, Dolly, Dolly, and yeah. Dolly okay. and Stevie would have made something peppier. I think. Yeah. Okay. I say I would. I would just jump in and, and I'll take the last word on this and say um, I think all of you are wrong. Um, Dolly Parton could be the lead singer for this, but the, the composer has to be John Williams. I mean, John Williams mm, has written no. everything from oh. Schindler's List to E.T. to Close Encounters of the Third Time, even wrote the music, background music for Gilligan's Island, for God's sake. This guy has great, great range. I'll let Dolly do the singing, though. Boy, am I made myself. But what problem. about the lyrics, Lee? Well, now we have a little bit of a problem. Okay. So, so Dylan, I got, I got it. Dylan writes the lyrics. Dolly sings that John Williams composes the music. Would you be happy with that, Lee? So, somewhat. <laughs> no, 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 no. Do Dolly's Dolly's got it all. She's a great okay. songwriter. Yeah, okay. she's one of the great right. songwriters in American history. So I would yeah, have okay. To agree all right, with that. Uh, I'll yeah. yield to that. It would certainly be popular. All right, okay. so somebody get on the phone with John Williams and see if we can make this Dolly John Williams thing happen. That would put Pole Hub on the map. That'll do it for Pole Hub this week. Pole Hub is produced by the Marist Pole at Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. Mary Griffith is our executive producer. Casey Schaff is our production supervisor. The Pole Hub team includes Ethan Hollis and Eve Fisher. If you enjoy Pole Hub, please consider leaving a review. Positive reviews help other listeners like you find us. If you have questions for us, tweet them at us at Marist Pole. Remember, you can always tell your smart speaker to play Pole Hub and, with any luck, It'll cooperate. Finally, wherever you listen to Pole Hub, there is a subscribe button. Click it and the latest episode will be ready for you in your podcast app as soon as it's released. We'll, we'll see, see you next time. time.